0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 2% Better podcast. I am your host, Carrie Bennett, and I look forward to bringing you simple and impactful 2% health upgrades, small daily habits you can do to supercharge your health. We will be focusing on using sunlight, nutrition, sleep, cold, movement, fasting, and more to support your health journey. I hope this podcast inspires you with these science-backed micro habits so that every day you can become 2% better. The content of this show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any illness or medical condition. Nothing is intended to be medical advice or to be used as advice for self-treatment. Please discuss any health-related or treatment-related decisions with your own personal medical authorities. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 2% Better Health podcast. I am your host, Carrie Bennett. And today I wanted to just tell you a little bit more about myself for those of you who do not know who I am. So, like I said, my name is Carrie, and I have a master's degree in applied clinical nutrition. I have been in private practice for the past 10 years working with clients who are looking to use nutrition and lifestyle strategies to support their health. So it can be anything from intermittent fasting to uh, movement to sleep to promoting autophagy to um, regulating circadian rhythm. And so I get to work with clients to help optimize all these things specifically for the benefit of their unique body in order to promote health. So that's what I get to do on a day to day basis. And now I'm I'm so grateful that I get to do this podcast, and and I'm grateful to you to be listening to this podcast. This is episode number two. Today, we get to talk about how to be a fat burner, and what does that mean, and what does that look like, and so how, do we, how does the body burn fat? Why should the body burn fat? What are some really great strategies we can start implementing today to help the body burn fat? Um, so first off, I think it's important to recognize that We want to burn fat regardless of the amount of adipose tissue we have. So adipose tissue is just another way of saying stored body fat. So yes, we may vary in the amount of adipose tissue that we have, but the fat burning pathway is an evolutionary pathway that the body prefers to run on. It should be, or the body wants it to be our default pathway. And so why is that, right? Why? Is the fat-burning pathway our default pathway? Well, number one, burning fat will generate four times as much energy as burning the other option, which is burning carbohydrates, or the body calls it glucose. And so I'm going to use those terms interchangeably. I'm going to say burning sugar, burning carbs, and burning glucose pretty much interchangeably to mean this other pathway that the body can use to, to make energy. And so when we burn fat, we literally can make four times as much energy when we make energy in our cells, we also make water. So the little fat burning engines in our cells called mitochondria also make water for us. So yes, we can hydrate by drinking water, right? by consuming water, but we can also hydrate by being a fat burner. That can actually help to promote water production inside of our cells. So a really deep cellular hydration. When we burn fat, we also allow our uh, bodies to burn a pathway that produces less metabolic damage. So as our body is making energy, our cells make energy, they naturally produce something called reactive oxygen species, or I like to think of it as like this metabolic rusting, right? And that's just a natural byproduct of making energy. It it happens. There's no way to prevent that. But when we produce energy from burning fat, we make a lot less of this metabolic damage, this metabolic rusting. So if we are already dealing with an inflammatory condition, we don't want to be adding fuel to the fire. We don't want to be adding more inflammation to a system that is already inflamed. And what do I mean by inflammation, right? I mean, if you are dealing with arthritis, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, an autoimmune condition, uh, cognitive decline, dementia, brain fog, any sort of pain condition or chronic fatigue, all of those and more, I mean, that's not an exhaustive list, right? But all of those conditions are uh, indicate that the body is experiencing an excess of inflammation, and so we don 't want to add to that simply by the process of making energy and in fact, the cool thing to think of is if I can make four times as much energy for a cell by burning fat and less inflammation, not only am I going to be lowering my total inflammatory load by producing less inflammation, but I'm also going to maybe have added energy that my body can use to heal the inflammation from an inflammatory condition that I have, right? So that's, that's the bonus. That's the goal is to be making tons of energy inside of the cell to have plenty of energy, so literally to feel more energetic, but also then to help heal the body of any sort of inflammatory damage that might be happening currently. So burning fat, we want that to be the default pathway. Um, and just remember, just I, I have said this before, and I literally should do an entire show on mitochondria. I think mitochondria are one of they're one of my favorite topics. Well, let's be frank. I like all these topics. Right. But I think uh, mitochondria are an important thing to understand. So where do mitochondria live? Mitochondria live inside of our cells and certain cells have more mitochondria than others. So I did mention this previously, but so the egg Uh, in the ovaries, has the most mitochondria. But then beyond that, the brain is our most concentrated source of mitochondria, followed by the cardiovascular system, followed by the immune system. And I'm just going to leave it there at those three. So if we're not making enough energy to Take care of all the tasks that we need. We will we will start to have the potential to see symptoms in those various locations. So perhaps it's a susceptibility to illness, to 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 uh, you know germs in the environment, to the always getting a cold or always being susceptible to uh, the flu, or perhaps it's a chronic viral infection that we can't keep at bay. So viruses, chronic viral infections just live inside of us. So that would be like something like herpes, right? That it lives inside of us and our immune system just works all the time to suppress it. But if we're not making enough energy, uh, our mitochondria can't make enough energy for us, then we have an inability to suppress that infection and it can start to manifest itself. Um, And so we really want to make sure that mitochondria, we take good care of the mitochondria and the function of our mitochondria in order to be able to burn fat. I've said this before, a broken engine will not produce energy right it won't make energy for us so we have to make sure we take really good care of our mitochondria in order for them to be able to burn fat for us so picture having an engine right you're in you're sitting in a car right now with an engine and and you're perhaps you're sitting in a mercedes right gorgeous car right top of the line mercedes it's got a really high quality engine in it and except the engine is broken, right? The engine is broken. Maybe someone poured some gunky stuff into it. Maybe there's some pieces that are broken or missing. It doesn't matter how gorgeous that engine is or could or was at one point. If it no longer can make energy, your beautiful, beautiful Mercedes will just literally sit in the driveway and not go anywhere. You're not going to be able to use it. Picture a car that might not be so glamorous, right? So picture, you know, um, I'm going to go back to the station wagon that my family had in the 80s, right? The, the wood paneled station wagon with the now illegal seat in the back that would face backwards. I, I know some of you probably remember, remember these, right? So I'm picturing that car. It might not be the most glamorous car, but that car, picture that car, picture that car having a really well-tuned, fine running engine, not necessarily a top of the line engine, but it's a very well functioning engine because it's been because good care was given to it, right? It, we had regular oil changes and all the parts were serviced regularly. And so taking good care of that engine, that car doesn't matter how old it is, doesn't matter how maybe not as glamorous as that engine is. That engine is going to take my car from point A to point B as long as I provide the right fuel. With the Mercedes, I could be pumping premium gasoline into that car, but because the engine is broken, it still will not run. So part of the whole fat burning is making sure that our mitochondria, that's our engines inside of our cells, our making sure those mitochondria can make good quality energy for us. So we want to take good care, and I'm going to give some tips today in terms of how we can take care of our mitochondria. So that's number one. Number two is we also then need to be doing things uh, on a daily basis that coach our body to use fat as a fuel source. Living in America and, you know, all of us being influenced by the standard American diet, we are surrounded by things that actually take us out of fat burning really quickly. So what takes us out of fat burning really quickly? Well, more carbohydrates than our body can can burn it in, in a given sitting, right? That'll take us out of fat burning as will things that burn like sugar. So anytime I give my body carbs or sugar, I literally am giving my body an alternative fuel source. My body says, not going to burn fat if I have this alternative fuel source to burn. I'm going to go there instead. So um, so eating uh, lots of carbs, right? Lots of carbs, lots of sugar is one way to do it. Alcohol also burns like a sugar. So alcohol consumption can really, really easily kick me out of fat burning mode. And then, believe it or not, when we are under stress, my liver has the the ability to produce new blood sugar for me, so produce sugar inside of my body to use as a fuel source on a whim. It's called gluconeogenesis. So if my body is in fight-or-flight mode, also known as chronic stress, right, could be an acute stress, but mostly, but it's oftentimes chronic stress, right? So if I'm stressed out, my liver can pump sugar into my bloodstream, and I can literally... Try to fuel my day on that alone. Um, But again, that, so that chronic sugar or that, that sugar burning pathway right there, if I'm under stress all the time and maybe I have an inflammatory condition and I'm really busy and trying to accomplish a lot, burning that sugar pathway will give me four times less energy than if I were to burn the fat burning pathway. One last thing that I think really can um, can trip people up is the idea that excessive amounts of protein so consuming tons and tons of protein at any given sitting will burn like sugar. So my body can only use so much protein in a given meal and there is some variation there, right? but I'd say twenty to thirty grams is a good guesstimate for the average person. If I'm consuming tons more protein than that at a given meal then I actually will take that extra protein. There's no protein storage depots, right? My body will use the, the, the that amount of protein that it needs and kind of divvy it up for repair purposes of the proteins inside of my body. But the rest of that, that protein will get, actually get converted into a sugar burning pathway and burn as sugar. So... It's very obvious that uh, our lifestyles these days can go a long way towards kicking us out of fat burn and promote that sugar burning pathway. And then, if we're promoting that sugar burning pathway, it's really, really easy to see how the majority of my clients come to me and they complain of fatigue, they complain of you know aches and pains, poor exercise recovery, um, they they com- complain of just overall inflammation. And it's simply because they're asking their body to make so much energy, but they're only giving it the sugar burning pathway to burn. And when we do that, that energy is just not there. We need way more energy than we're able to produce using the sugar burning pathway. Okay, so we've got. Ideally, we're burning fat, and um, in order to burn fat, let's just let's just get this this down straight. Right, we have to make sure that our fat storage hormone is not high. or We have a fat storage hormone called insulin, and we want insulin to be low throughout a good portion of a 24-hour period in order for our body to be able to tap into body fat and burn it as a fuel source. So here's what happens, right? Anytime we eat, literally anytime we eat, our body will release some amount of insulin because insulin's job is to be a storage hormone. It stores nutrients for us and locks them away inside of of the cells. So whenever we eat, insulin gets released and insulin's job is to basically go through the bloodstream and help cells pull in nutrients, nutrients, pull in glucose, pull in amino acids, pull in some fat too, in order to be able to to use it either in real time or to be able to store it away for later, store nutrients away for later, that sort of a thing. So if we're eating things that elevate our insulin to a high extent, then we're basically putting a lock and key on our fat cells and not allowing our body fat to release energy into the bloodstream, fat into the bloodstream to be shuttled to mitochondria throughout the body and burned as a fuel source. Different types of nutrients will uh, generate a different insulin response. And so the thing that generates the highest insulin response is processed carbohydrates and sugar. So that's things like literally sugary treats, like cookies, cupcakes, donuts. Then you add on to that things that can become uh, glucose or sugar in the bloodstream quickly. That would be things like breads and pastas and rice. All of those things, especially processed versions of those things, will generate a very high insulin response And if we happen to lack insulin sensitivity, meaning we're more towards the pre-diabetic or diabetic range, then they impact us even more. And the last time I checked, approximately 88% of Americans have some form of issue with insulin sensitivity, meaning that they're more likely to release more insulin and keep their insulin elevated in their bloodstream for longer periods of time, which any time insulin is elevated above a baseline level, above a low point, of the body is going to be locking and holding on to fat. And it's just going to be storing sugar. And at some point, we can only so store so much sugar in in our liver and in our muscle tissues. And after we store and, and basically saturate all that storage, uh, we start to store sugar. We convert it into body fat and we generate new fat. Or it's not necessarily new fat cells, but we actually just make more fat. We load a fat cell up with more and more fat that we've actually taken sugar and converted it to the fat. So a really big myth that I have heard a long time being in this career is eating fat will cause you to store fat. And that is completely false. Eating fat, it's, fat is such a complex molecule. Think of it as being like a really big and complex chain, big, big and super something, a really big and complex, yeah, chain is, I guess the best way I can put it. A bunch of molecules strung together. Fat is too complex for the body to break it all the way down and then rebuild it back up as the storage form of fat called a triglyceride. So but so, so the body, it's, it makes no sense. The body's not going to say, yeah, you eat this fat, but I'm going to break it all the way down. And instead of converting all of that breakdown component into energy, I'm going to build it all the way back up and I'm going to make make fat out of it again the body won't, doesn't do that pathway. Instead, the body will take that and just use it as a fuel source. Sugar, however, on the other hand, we have an ability, we have an ability to store excess sugar, right? So our cells at any given moment can use glucose. And so they're using that blood sugar at any given time. At some point though, we may be consuming uh, an excessive amount of glucose in the form of sugary things uh, in the form of pastas and breads and those sorts of things. Uh, We may be consuming too much of that for our body to handle. And so our body body does have the potential to store some of that sugar in our liver or our muscles as glycogen. This was kind of that old school theory behind carbo loading. So any of you who were high school athletes with me back in the 90s, you might recognize this as like, oh yeah, we got to, you know, make sure I get that big old spaghetti dinner the night before a big game because I got a carbo load. And it's this idea that we can store sugar away for a later time and access it. But here's the problem with that if we're looking to be a fat burner. My body is going to burn first any extra sugar that's in my bloodstream, right? So let's say I'm trying to become a fat burner. I'm going to have to make sure my insulin levels are low. So let's say, and I'm not going to recommend this right off the bat, but let's say someone goes does a 24-hour fast, right? So they stop eating dinner at six o'clock one night and they're going to fast all day and they're not going to eat dinner until six o'clock the next night. What happens in the body? Well, First off, the body has to burn off all the stored sugar that it has in it. And if we had eaten a high-carb meal or a high-carb meals the day before, then we have to burn off the hundreds, if not thousands, of calories of stored glycogen, stored sugar, first. Once glycogen stores are burned off, then—and the body doesn't sense any nutrients are coming in, so insulin is low— Then the body says, okay, well, Carrie is still living and moving and doing stuff. So we got to fuel that some way. How are we going to make the energy she needs to, to continue to live? And so that's when the body says, okay, well, we've got these body fat stores. And so let's open up the body fat stores. Let's pull fat out of storage. Let's chop it up into all of its little pieces so that they can be ferried throughout the body and used by all the cells of the body. And so it, it, that's what would happen, right? But there, there's a couple of things I want you to make note of right there. Number one, it's not just gonna happen right off the bat. We, we have to do it in a state of low glycogen storage and we have to do it in a state of low insulin. And so those are two key things to highlight. And so when we're looking to flip our switch from being a sugar burner to a fat burner, it's a really good idea to start to prioritize foods that elevate insulin the least. And so I already said that those processed sugary carbohydrate baked goods, those sorts of things are definitely going to elevate insulin the most. So what elevates insulin the least? Well, first off, pure fat by itself will elevate insulin the least. That would be things like uh, grass-fed butter and ghee and coconut oil and MCT oil, those sorts of things consuming pure fat by itself will elevate insulin very, very little, and so this is the theory behind, uh, you know, uh, one of the, the in the biohacking world, uh, Dave Asprey, who is in, who created the Bulletproof brand. This is the, the theory behind consuming what he calls bulletproof coffee in the morning, and it's this idea of you're going to give your body a little bit of fat um, by itself. In, in conjunction with coffee. And if, for those of you who are unfamiliar with that, what you do with Bulletproof coffee is you brew a cup of coffee and you put, you know, one to two tablespoons of either MCT oil, which is kind of like a coconut oil or uh grass fed butter in it. And then you literally, you blend it up in a blender and you pour it out and it kind of froths up like a latte. So essentially you're consuming coffee plus pure fat. And what, what Dave you know, claims. And what I've experienced too with myself, with my clients, is that that fat will give your body a little bit of satiation. So it will really quench hunger if you feel like you're going to get hungry. And it'll keep insulin levels low though. So it's like you're going to be, you're you're consuming something that's going to keep you satisfied, but you're not really elevating insulin levels very much. And so your body will burn off the fat that you've put in the coffee let's say 200 calories of fat or so. And then because fat is very satiating to the brain, then you're going to be feeling full for an extended period of time. So once you burn off those 200 calories of fat, your body says, oh, well, Carrie's not giving us any more nutrients to burn from the outside. So let's burn internal nutrients. And if you don't have any glycogen to burn off, your body will then go into body fat and start burning body fat as a fuel source. And allow you to bridge any gap between, between when, once you've burned off those calories from the coffee all the way until you have your next meal. So this is a really interesting strategy, a really interesting way to start intermittent fasting, which intermittent fasting is one of my recommendations for helping the body to start to burn body fat. And so what I explain there is a form of intermittent fasting. Basically, you have dinner the night before. So cut yourself off at like 6 p.m. So finish your dinner at 6 p.m. And ideally, if you're really looking to promote this, you have what's called a low-carb dinner. So dinner consists of healthy fats plus a moderate amount of protein. And in general, we don't have to overthink that, but in general, protein per meal is about the size and thickness of the palm of your hand. So just take a look at that and you'll say, okay, if I can kind of fill my plate with protein in about that amount. And then you give yourself some veggies as well. The combination of veggies plus fat plus a moderate amount of protein uh, will, will be a really satiating meal, um, but it won't elevate insulin very much. And so that then is a low-carb meal, right? And so you're not going to be storing any carbohydrates or as glycogen from that meal. Then when you sleep at night, your body wants to burn fat as a fuel source. So it'll be able to burn fat all night while you sleep. And then let's say you wake up in the morning and at 7 a.m. you make yourself this bulletproof coffee where you brew some coffee, it doesn't have to be caffeinated, it can be decaf, and you put a little bit of fat in it, so one to two tablespoons of any combination of that MCT oil, the grass-fed butter, the coconut oil, you blend it up, you drink it, and then you see how long you're satiated for. So typically, when I started off using bulletproof uh, coffee as a strategy for myself and for clients, clients found, and I found myself, that having a bulletproof coffee like that keeps me pretty sated until at least lunchtime, if not a late lunch. So then maybe at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you're ready to l- truly break your fast. I mean, technically, if if the uh, the fasting... The fasting gurus are going to tell me that uh, having that bulletproof coffee can break does break a fast. But if our the goal of our fast is to coach fat burning, then I would say that coffee is perfectly acceptable because then it allows you to go further into the day using your own body fat. Anytime you're not providing your body with outside nutrients, your body has to take fuel from storage and burn it. And in a low insulin and low glycogen state, it has no choice but to burn body fat. So that being said, um, it's not necessarily a great strategy off the bat to decide that you want to fast for three to five days. Those longer fasts have definitely been done before. Always do that, especially if you're under, on medication. Always do that with the support of your physician because medications need to adjust very, very quickly for some, in my experience. Um, but it's definitely, those are strategies that can be implemented. But you can simply start off by saying, okay, I'm going to intermittent fast like this. And so I'm going to, like I said, cut and have a low-carb meal at dinner, at, stop at 6 p.m. Fast, obviously, all night when I'm sleeping. Wake up in the morning. I'm going to have a bulletproof coffee with a little bit of fat in it. I'm going to then bridge that gap. And I am going to then... Um, Allow myself to, you know, just kind of live off of that fat and my own stored fat as long as I can, and when clients start to uh, do this pattern on a regular basis, they oftentimes find that they want to consume all of their food fuel. Fuel is what I call an any word for any food, right? Fu- food, but I want us to start recognizing that it's fuel for our body. Um, they start to consume their fuel within anywhere between about a four to six, to up to an eight-hour window. So ultimately, it looks like this. It, typically with my clients, it's they consume all of their fuel in a six-hour window, and then every night while they sleep through the morning, then they're fasting for an 18-hour window. And then that right there, that 18-hour fast, tells your body that it has to start really tapping into fat as a fuel source in order, to, um, in order to fuel life, right? In order to continue to give you the energy you need to do everything that you're asking your body to do on a daily basis. And so to recap with that, right, that is making sure that our glycogen stores are low. So a low carb dinner is a good way to go with that. That low carb dinner is a little bit of protein, some good healthy fat, and then some veggies. As a side note, if at all possible, purchasing organic veggies is becoming a must these days. The amount of glyphosate, which is a pesticide that is being sprayed on conventionally made veg- vegetables and produce, vegetables and fruits, um, the amount of glyphosate that is being sprayed on those is becoming astronomical. And that glyphosate, glyphosate is not only no, now known and proven to be a carcinogen, but it's also very toxic to our mitochondria. So we're talking about needing to take good care of our mitochondria to be able to burn fat for fuel. One of the things that I'm seeing happening is people... Well-intending, they they have good intention. They're like, okay, I want to eat healthier. So to eat healthier, I'm going to eat more fruits and veggies. But unfortunately, these fruits and veggies are doused in glyphosate, and this glyphosate is a toxin to the mitochondria. And so basically, they're harming their mitochondria when they're consuming these fruits and veggies. It's such a catch twenty-two. It's a conundrum. It's not, it's not something I'm, I I feel happy reporting because that makes things more challenging for sure. Um, but. If, if at all possible, you can consume organic fruits and vegetables. Please do so. Another thing you can do is you can go to the Environmental Working Group's website. I think it's just ewg.org. And you can check out every year. They put out a list of what they call their Clean 15 and their Dirty Dozen. Take a look at the Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen is a list of of fruits and vegetables that they have found to be the most sprayed and the most, you know, laden, if you will, with glyphosate, with pesticides. So if at all possible, you have to avoid those unless you're buying certified organic of those. And then you can take a look at the clean 15 list and the clean 15 list will tell you the ones that they have, the fruits and vegetables they have found to be the least sprayed, with glyphosate, so it has the least glyphosate residues on it, those ones are are better than to consume conventionally if you're working on if you're working within a, a a budget right there. Another rule of thumb to just kind of think about is if you can peel the skin off of something you're doing a really good job in terms of being able to at least get rid of the the biggest concentration of glyphosate so it's not necessarily worth it to buy an organic banana versus a conventional banana. Now there's definitely arguments for that, for buying organic on that. Um, but you are going to want to make sure, but but if you are looking to kind of maximize your, your weekly food budget, you want to make sure that you are, anytime you're consuming the skin of something like grapes, for example, or raspberries, that you buy organic if at all possible. And when you're able to peel the skin off, so... Let's talk about something along the lines of bananas, oranges, those sorts of things then you're you're safer uh you're you're able to buy those conventionally. They still may have some glyphosate residues in them, but it's gonna be less than if you were gonna eat the the skin as well as in eating the grapes or the raspberries. Okay, so that was just a small digression here. But what I was going into is remember at dinner you're gonna keep it low carb. And you're gonna have that low carb meal, cut it off around six o'clock. You're going to fast all night long. When you wake up in the morning, you're going to have this bulletproof coffee with one tablespoon of butter, one tablespoon of MCT oil, something along those lines. You're going to consume that, and then you're going to allow your body to run on that fat from that coffee until it's burned off. And then afterwards, your body will naturally make a transition to tap, start tapping into stored body fat and start burning your own fat. And that's a very, very healthy metabolic switch that we want to have happen. We want to be able to eat fat and then burn our own fat and then maybe eat some more fat and burn our own fat. And so this being this, uh, if you do this sort of intermittent fasting day in and day out, where then you maybe consume your first meal again sometime between, oh, let's say noon and two. So you'll have a meal at noon and two. or not at noon and two, but between noon and two, somewhere in there when your body tells you it's hungry. And then you'll have your meal at six o'clock as well. You'll start to realize that as your body becomes comfortable in burning fat, its own fat as a fuel source, cravings will go down tremendously. Energy will really start to go up. You're not going to experience hunger in the same way. You're not going to get hangry. At first, you might right back in the day when I thought, uh, you know, when I before my clinical nutrition career, when I was a personal trainer, and I thought that a healthy metabolism needed to be fueled by small meals every two to three hours, I actually would be eating small meals every two to three hours, and I would make myself hungry and oftentimes hangry if one of those meals was delayed. And so, what a lot of research is showing is that hunger is, yes, it's a physiological response, but it can be coached into us based on our eating habits. So maybe the first few days of doing an intermittent fasting and you have bulletproof coffee instead of something else for breakfast, you might notice a little bit of hunger. But fairly quickly, that hunger starts to regulate itself and your body recognizes that, okay, why am I stimulating hunger? Because I've got body fat to burn. So why don't I just burn body fat as a fuel source? That's a very easy thing to do until Carrie can can fuel me again with an outside fuel source. And so that's really what we're looking to do here. We're really trying to coach the body to say, hey, you got fat. Let's burn that. Let's let's give you every possible way, like strategy to promote that fat release from storage so it can be burned as a fuel source. Okay, so here are some little ways that you can enhance that. I have found that going on a fasted morning walk or a fasted morning hike, so doing something that's a little bit lower intensity can allow the body to use more fat fat as a fuel source. And I'll do this before my bulletproof coffee, because if I'm walking having just had that bulletproof fat, I'll actually just most likely be burning that fat that I just drank as opposed to my own stored fat. That being said, anytime you can go on a walk in a, fa- in a fasted state, it's going to be beneficial for you. You'll just burn up that that fatty coffee sooner and then tap into body fat sooner. So you can really hack uh, your body fat utilization pathway by saying, okay, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to go outside, and I'm going to go for a nice long walk a 40, 60-minute walk or so, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to have a little body, I'm not going to drink body fat, I'm going to drink bulletproof coffee, Um, and then you allow yourself just to get naturally hungry sometime in the early afternoon. Some people don't even get hungry then, so listen to your hunger signals, your body can tell you a lot. So simply by moving more in your fasting window when you're in a fasted state, a low insulin state, it allows your body to burn up more stored body fat. The other part about that is uh, we're going to go back to the mitochondria and what we can do to make sure that those engines are firing on all cylinders. Those engines can get repaired. And one of the coolest ways to repair those engines is to do something called high-intensity interval training, which is just the in its most basic form, which doesn't necessarily sound easy, but I'm going to really simplify the concept. It's to go all out at something. So basically sprint like someone's chasing you. Uh sprint like a tiger is chasing you, right? Trying to eat you for 30 seconds and then walking and recovering until your heart rate recovers back down and just repeating that as many times as you can. I mean, in an ideal world, we're looking at maybe eight rounds of an all out push. If you can do eight rounds of an all out push and then recover, so an all out sprint and recover, or maybe burpees really do it for you. They really get your heart rate going uh, and then you recover. Or maybe it is rope slams or something at the gym, something along those lines. It doesn't really matter what you do. You could even be moving, uh, you know, going upstairs or powering up a hill, something along those lines. Anything you do that gets your heart rate elevated and gets you breathless are two signals to your body that, whoa, Carrie just put me through something very challenging And that was hard. And the next time she does that, I don't want it to be as hard. And so the body responds. The body is so cool at adapting, right? So the body will respond to that little bit of exercise stress, beneficial stress, a little bit of exercise stress. And that night when I sleep, my body will literally make new mitochondria for me. And it will help to repair any broken mitochondria that I might have as well. So doing high-intensity interval training once a week can be a very awesome strategy in order to help your body clear out broken mitochondria and generate new, really, really well-running mitochondrial engines. That happens when we sleep, so so no, no fat-burning conversation would be complete without talking about sleep a little bit. It is definitely uh, proven or shown in the research literature that poor sleep or lack of sleep promotes obesity. You know, there's a whole lot of reasons why that can be. But one of the main things that we're looking that I want to touch on is that when we sleep is when we repair our mitochondria, when we make new mitochondria. And when we sleep is when we're burning fat uh, from storage in order to repair our body to make these key changes. And so if we're not getting good quality sleep, we're missing out on prime repair time and also prime fat utilization time. One of the main things I see get in the way of a lot of fat burning is alcohol consumption. Alcohol consumption burns like a sugar, and it really uh, can interfere with our body's repair at night when we sleep. It'll, it'll act, it can actually suppress one of our repair hormones, human growth hormone, by up to 75%. So that's not what we would want to do if we're looking to use fat as a fuel source and really facilitate this repair and this fat burning pathway. The other thing that can, can really impair that is r- low melatonin melatonin is needed to go in and make, help us make those new mitochondria and repair those mitochondria. And one of the main things that tanks our melatonin is artificial light after sunset. So let's say we start, our body starts to recognize that the sun is going down. That's the signal to my brain to start making lots of melatonin. However, if I start to stare at this really bright screen, so my phone, a tablet, the TV, or if I'm in a really brightly lit room with light bulbs, all of those things will start to break down and suppress my melatonin so that when i do go to sleep i'm probably actually not going to be going to sleep at a decent time cuz melatonin is needed to help put me to sleep but then once i fall asleep melatonin goes on to repair and make my repair my mitochondria and help me make new ones and so if i'm not taking care to mind my melatonin i'm not necessarily getting the benefit of this of my sleep and so the thing that and then then that ties into circadian rhythm right because seeing artificial light when it's dark outside can really mess up the circadian rhythm, this 24-hour body clock that my body lives on. It has been shown that we need a strong circadian rhythm to help to signal the body to burn fat as a fuel source. And so focusing on two ends of the spectrum, I want to block the artificial light at night. And then as soon as I can in the morning, I want to get outside and show my eyes that it's morning. So sometime in the morning hours, it's really important to get outside and show your eyes that it's daylight again. That sets out a, a, a whole host of chain reactions in the brain to help strengthen the circadian rhythm and just coordinate all of my cellular tasks, including a task called beta oxidation, which is how, which is how my mitochondria burn fat for me. So we do want to make sure that if we're looking to help coach this pathway, we have to also have a strong circadian rhythm. Okay, so if we're going to put that all together, right, what, what are some of these 2 percents? Well, you know, getting those blue-blocking glasses, amber or red-colored blue-blocking glasses, and wearing them every single night. Preserve your melatonin to help you go to bed at a decent time so that you can repair and make those mitochondria really, really potent, fat-burning engines. And then when we wake up in the morning, going outside, whenever you get out can, get outside and be outside in the morning light. Does a whole other host of things, which, which I already talked about in episode 1. So if you if you missed that one, go ahead and uh, listen to it. It's got some really, really great uh, reasons why we want to get in the natural light as much as possible. But for this case, it's because we want our body to be able to burn fat as a fuel source. So strengthen that circadian rhythm as much as you can. Eating or intermittent fasting. So eating all of our food within a six-ish hour window. And oftentimes eating in distinct meals is better, right? So a meal at the beginning of the window and a meal at the end of the window. Grazing the whole time can really create some just dysfunctional signaling happening in the body. Kind of confuse the hunger hormones, can keep insulin elevated a long time. So eating distinct meals is another good one. And then making sure that those meals are mostly protein, I'm sorry, mostly fat, a moderate amount of protein and veggies. And when, when you can make those veggies organic, organic. So if this sounds to you like a ketogenic plan, then it really has to be fairly ketogenic when you're first coaching your body, how to burn fat as a fuel source. And that's because a ketogenic meal plan is basically, basically forces your body to to tap into body fat as a fuel source. And when it does that, it takes that body fat and transforms it into ketones. And ketones then can be used by all the cells of the body for energy. And so that's just a fat burning pathway that we can really enhance. We don't necessarily have to stay. well, I think ketosis, I'm coming to really appreciate ketosis more and more. Um, As I've been studying it, I've been experiencing it myself. I've been seeing it in my clients, in family members who have tried it. So I'm really coming to uh, appreciate ketosis more and more. But that's a different topic as to why it gets a little bit into the quantum physics realm, the um, quantum biology realm too. Uh, And so I'm not going to go into that. But I think it's a really key strategy if we're looking to start coaching that fat burning pathway to, to use ketosis as the way in which we can really help to drive home that pathway and coach that pathway. If we're trying to get into ketosis for the first time, then we um, you want to make sure you mind a couple of different things because ketosis helps really helps your body take fat from storage. It dumps a lot of body fat out. When we dump out body fat, we also dump out a bunch of water. And we, we also dump out toxins that are stored in that fat. Uh, and so we oftentimes, the body oftentimes stores, a ton of, to, stores our toxins in body fat. And so if we're starting to lose body fat, we're going to lose the fat. We're going to dump out the water, which means that as you're starting to coach fat utilization, you want to make sure you're very hydrated. So make sure you're drinking plenty of filtered water. And you also want to consume electrolytes as well. So we want to make sure we get an electrolyte switch that can happen as well. So that means there are keto electrolyte powders that you can get, um, But you can also do a little bit of uh, lemon water and sea salt. uh, That can help give you some electrolytes. I've used something called Quinton minerals, um, which I really like as well. So there's both isotonic and hypotonic minerals, Quinton. Uh, Those are all really good ways that I have found to uh, help to replace electrolytes in those who are starting ketosis or really trying to coach that fat-burning pathway. Okay, so then you can definitely have those two ke- uh, me- uh, more ketogenic meals, and then you just fast, right? So it's like this it's, uh, sunset, block blue light, sleep, your body will repair, make new mitochondria, wake up, see the sunrise, go for a walk, um, have a bulletproof coffee, fast until your body sim- uh, suggests you're hungry again. Eat another meal, then that's maybe a hot higher fat, moderate protein with some veggies. And this is just kind of a cycle that we repeat day in and day out until the body starts to really hone in on that fat-burning pathway. Some people can flip this switch from burning sugar to burning fat very quickly. It takes a couple weeks. Other people, it takes three, four, five, six weeks even. But do not despair because It's not going to flip automatically, right? We want to put in the work so that we can derive the benefit of four times more energy, less inflammation, more healing capabilities than we would have if we just continue to stay on that sugar-burning pathway. That's leading us to less energy, more damage, more inflammation, more symptoms. So there's really no alternative. We really want to coach this pathway, even if it takes us four, five, six weeks to do. All right. All right. The last little thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that our mitochondria need three things in order to, to make energy for us. We've already talked about one, right? So they're going to take fat and they're going to break that fat, hopefully from storage, into electrons. And so mitochondria will take those electrons. Mitochondria also take oxygen and light from my environment. Light from my environment is the a code for my mitochondria to be able to make energy for me. If I'm always giving my mitochondria the wrong code or the wrong signal, they're not necessarily gonna be efficient energy producers. So that's why throughout the day, taking little sunshine breaks is gonna be key. We wanna give our body, our, our mitochondria, the right code to make energy. And then that last input to our mitochondria to help make energy is oxygen the reason we breathe is to pull oxygen into our mitochondria so that they can make energy for us. And so I have found that some of my clients, or actually a lot of us, I was one of them as well, I was a mouth breather. And there's, so we can pull in oxygen into our lungs in two ways, right? We can pull it in through our nose or we can pull it in through our mouth. And I had no clue that I was a chronic mouth breather, no clue whatsoever. But what I have found was that um by by doing a couple of assessments that i was definitely not oxygenating my body in the best way as i possibly could so i in an ideal world we are only breathing in and out through our nose all day long while we sleep it's nose breathing in and out through the nose nasal breathing the only time we might deviate from that is if we're doing something like that high intensity interval training where it might be too hard for us to maintain just nasal breathing so for that brief moment in time we may be doing some nose to mouth breathing or mouth mouth breathing perfectly fine we should go right we should go default back then into nasal breathing but what i found was that i was mouth breathing at night and i was also mouth breathing throughout the day i've seen this in a lot of my clients as well what does that look like? Well, when we mouth breathe, we do not pull air as deeply into our lungs as when we nasal breathe. When we nasal breathe, we pull the oxygen into our lungs to the deepest lobes of the lungs where there's the most blood flow. So basically, we want to pull, we'll pull more oxygen into our lungs and we'll pull it to the area where it can better be distributed throughout the body. And so when we're focusing on nasal breathing, we're helping to oxygenate our tissues in a very beneficial way. And one of the best ways that I have found to assess this is something called a BOLT test. BOLT stands for blood oxygen level test. And this will tell you if you may be a chronic mouth breather or maybe you're mouth breathing at night or throughout the day and you don't even realize it. To do the BOLT test, you are just going to sit calmly for a little while. And then you're going to take a natural, not a big, right, a natural inhale and exhale And then at the end of that exhale, you're going to plug your nose, close your mouth. You're going to count the number of seconds it takes you to have the sensation of something called air hunger or the need to breathe. This is by no means a maximal breath hold. It is not a maximal breath hold. That's something completely different. Your body, at some point after you plug your nose, at some point in there, it could be two seconds, it could be two minutes later, at some point your body is going to signal Yes, uh, this is this is when I would want to take a breath. It might be a thought. Oftentimes it's a very very subtle potentially fluttering or contraction in the back of the throat. Maybe it's the diaphragm or the the upper abdomen with a, a little mild contraction happening. That's your signal to breathe. That's the signal that that's when your body would want to breathe again. At that point you stop your timer. So let's go over this again, right? You're going to inhale normally, exhale normally, plug your nose, and then as as soon as you plug your nose, you're going to time yourself. And you're going to time yourself to see how long it takes you to experience that air hunger. As soon as you experience that air hunger, you stop your timer and that is your bolt score. If your bolt score is below 20, and mine was 7, so no shame, right? My bolt score was 7. If your bolt score is below 20, it is there's the potential that you are a chronic mouth breather in certain circumstances so then really focusing on being a nasal breather or even using something like mouth tape at night to coach your mouth to stay closed it's it's for those of you think that's weird it's definitely a thing you can look into it there's tons of information on that but using some tape at night to keep your mouth shut so that you can breathe through your nose all night long if we're mouth breathing and snoring all night long we're actually potentially starving our mitochondria of oxygen, which is really lowering their ability to um, burn fat for us, which then also lowers their ability to make the energy we need to repair our tissues at night. So testing that Bolt score, and then you can do things to, that really ensure that your nasal breathing only in order to help support your mitochondria to be really, really potent fat burners. Okay, we're coming down to the end of the podcast. So, you know, I've talked about several things, right? I've talked about intermittent fasting and ways that you can kind of bridge, ease into that. I talked about why fat is a really key fuel source to not only run on, but also to consume. So sometimes being, getting into that ketogenic state can be a key way to coach the fat-burning pathway. We want to keep our insulin levels low and so when we do that and we're also in a low glycogen state or a low sugar storage state, we allow our body to burn fat more. So anytime we're fasted and low glycogen, doing things like a nice hike, 45, 60 minutes, hour and a half even if you've got the time on a weekend to do that can be a really great way just to start to get your body to take fat from storage and use it as a fuel source. The more often you do this, the more you'll reinforce this pathway. And so the more natural it will become, it will start to become your default pathway. We also talked about taking good care of the mitochondria. That means we wanna be a nasal breather. We wanna maybe do high intensity interval training exercise. Uh, We want to, in order to make new mitochondria, we wanna get good quality sleep so we can make new mitochondria and repair the ones that might be broken. Uh, We want to make sure we have a strong circadian rhythm because that light signal is really key in coaching our mitochondria to make energy for us. Hope this doesn't seem too overwhelming. I hope this gives you some tangible strategies that you feel like you can use in order to support the fat burning pathway and really start to coach yourself to become a fat burner. Flip the switch from being a sugar burner to a fat burner, but just make note, it doesn't have to happen all at once. Start small. Maybe it's those amber glasses at sunset. Maybe then you add on a little walk in the morning. Maybe you make your first meal of the day that bulletproof coffee, that fat-based coffee. Maybe then you uh, you know, make sure your dinner is low carb. There's a lot of ways that you can start to accumulate these things over time for them to have a really, really potent and beneficial lasting impact. Okay, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. If you ever have any questions on this, feel free to email me at carrybwellness at gmail.com. You can also contact me on Instagram at Wellness. Until next time, I hope you have a great day. I hope this podcast left you today with one thing that you can do to make your health 2% better. My name is Carrie Bennett. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like it and share it with anyone else you think would benefit from this information. Until next time, have a great day.